0: Hello, everyone. I'm Esther Pan-Sloan, Head of Partnerships, Policy, and Communications at the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Welcome to Season 3 of Capital Musings, UNCDF's podcast, where we focus on fresh ideas and new innovations that serve our mandate to make finance work for the poor in the world's least developed countries. You can find our Capital Musings podcast on Apple, Spotify, or our website, www.uncdf.org. The theme of season three is the road to Doha. We will be exploring issues relevant to the LDCs ahead of the fifth UN conference on the least developed countries in Doha, Qatar in 2022. Today, we're going back to the Pacific to speak with Isala Masitabua, the deputy governor of the Reserve Bank of Fiji. Fiji is not a least developed country, but is the host of the UN multi-country office for the Pacific and an important regional leader. Deputy governor, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Esther, and thank you for having me.
0: Please tell us about yourself. Where are you from? What did you study? And what led you to the Reserve Bank?
1: Well, I'm a Fijian. I grew up right here in Suva, the capital of uh, Fiji. I was fortunate enough uh, to be awarded an Australian government scholarship in the early 90s. And I studied in Griffith in Brisbane, Australia. I attained a Bachelor of Commerce degree there, majoring in accounting and finance. And I also uh, completed an MBA and a postgraduate diploma in economics right here at our University of the South Pacific. I joined the Reserve Bank in the accounting unit in 1997, and I've had an extremely rewarding central banking career, which is still ongoing and as enjoyable and rewarding now almost 25 years later.
0: It's wonderful to hear that you're still enjoying your time at the Reserve Bank. What drew you to public finance?
1: Well, I've been part of the Reserve Bank executive management team since 2004, when I assumed the role of head of currency and corporate services in 2009. As part of our capacity development, I was transferred to head prudential uh, supervision and financial stability And then in 2012, as head of financial markets. And this is a role that is charged with uh, leading the implementation of monetary policy in the central bank. And in this role, I also collaborated with government on public finance. And I was in this role when we became only the third country ever to launch the developed the green bonds. So that was way back. So it's been part of my central banking career that has drawn me to public finance.
0: And please tell us about the Maya commitments and how these impacted Fiji's National Financial Inclusion Plan.
1: The Maya commitments made under the Maya declaration played an integral role in our financial inclusion plans and efforts. So the Maya declaration was launched in Mexico in 2011. It's a global initiative by the Alliance for Financial Inclusion members, essentially agencies in countries that are charged with financial regulation to create a commitment platform on setting measurable financial inclusion targets. The AFI membership uh, recognizes that uh, country context differs and externally imposed top-down targets and solutions rarely work. So therefore, each country is given the freedom to determine their own targets bottom-up and based on individual circumstances. At the heart of it, the commitments aim at delivering uh, concrete financial inclusion outcomes by providing sustainable, relevant, and cost-effective financial services. So there are a few underpinnings on these commitments. And one is, of course, the recognition that financial inclusion is empowering and can uplift people out of uh, poverty. Uh, The second one is the reaffirmation that we can learn from each other. Uh, Peer learning platform is very much a part of the Maya commitments. And the final one is transparency and accountability. We make new year's resolutions. I think one of the important things is that we always convey to someone to hold us accountable. So that's very much a part of the Maya commitments to being, when we announce our commitments, we commit that we'll help each other achieve those goals. And we also commit to some sort of transparency and accountability. So for Fiji, we've come a long way since 2009, when we started our journey. And we would not have achieved it without support of AFI and the membership of those under the Maya Declaration. And also we recognize the support of so many partners and stakeholders along the way, including the UN, BFIP, government agencies, financial inclusions. We've just concluded our demand side survey in December 2020. And this follows up on an earlier demand side survey just to track some of our national inclusion goals. And it has shown to us that we've made some progress. I would hesitate to say significant because I don't want to be patting ourselves on the back, but we've made inroads. And we are all aware, those of us who have involved in this space, our work is never done. It's so many challenges, so many hurdles, and the environment is always fluid. Whoever knew that COVID would hit us. But we've made significant progress in promoting access for financial inclusion products. We have achieved some of the goals around youth accessing financial products, setup of MSME development. We've introduced, with the financial institutions for the first time, a reporting on desegregated data, which was a huge hurdle. We've continued to integrate financial literacy into the school curricula, and now we're looking at tertiary education. Digital payments have been a large part in innovation. And also, we were the first country to integrate or to incorporate inclusive green finance questions in our demand side survey, so it provides some baseline for us going forward. So in 2016, when we hosted the AFI Global Policy Forum, we made some commitments on green finance, and that is to work with our partners in developing and promoting sustainable business models. So it's been a long journey. We're still on the way, but the Maya Declaration and our partnership with UN, PFIP, AFI has played an important role in whatever little success that we have achieved so far. Thank you
0: very much, sir. And I think you're being modest because we know that, for example, just one of those examples that you cited, the financial literacy being incorporated into the curriculum, I believe it's in the entire primary school curriculum of Fiji from kindergarten all the way through high school. And that is quite an accomplishment. So congratulations on that. So, sir, many of our listeners may not be familiar with Fiji. I wonder if you could give us a general sense of how big the economy is, what the population is. And what percentage of the population you're trying to reach with the Financial Inclusion Plan?
1: In our Financial Inclusion Plan, our goal was to reach around 85% of our adult population, around 600,000. Our total population is just around 900,000, so very small. So our target is to reach 85% by 2020, and at least 50% of which are gender women. And from the last DSS survey, we had achieved around 81%, so just under our goal, but 75% are women, so we've achieved progress on the gender inclusion.
0: Congratulations. And I know you were citing earlier that disaggregated data was one of the advances that were brought by the Maya commitments. And we know from UNCDF's work how important it is to disaggregate data by gender in order to track that key indicator of how many women are being served. So thank you for paying attention to that. Sir, you had mentioned the green bonds. Please tell us more about the Reserve Bank's approach to green finance and also blue
1: finance. Thank you, Asta. So Arising from the Reserve Bank's mandate, to uh, develop the financial system and drive the financial inclusion agenda. We've been working on uh, several initiatives. I think the term that's used now is cross-cutting. Like we have a mandate as a central bank. They're no different to many other central banks. There's stable monetary stability and financial stability. But in cross-cutting across that, we've been able to integrate some of our approaches to achieve green finance and blue finance. And some of these includes using what we call convening Power within the economy to bring together stakeholders to talk about this issue and to come to some concrete collaboration, increase our capacity. So, we engage stakeholders in a private public partnership. A case in point is the recent collaboration with UN CDF Pacific Climate Adaptation, Narasimha and his team on achieving the paramedic insurance product. I mean, that's just a resounding indication of what can be achieved. So that's one of our key approaches, is trying to use our credibility, our convening power within the country to bring together stakeholders and to foster the goals of blue and green finance. The other thing is we try to align our strategies to the government's plans. You would be aware that the government is very vocal on green and blue finance, and it's been incorporated in their national development goals, and we try to align our strategies accordingly. Capacity building, as I mentioned, and awareness is an important part of our approach to green finance and blue finance. Strengthening data collection, as I mentioned, we've included it in the demand side survey for the first time. Some questions on inclusive green finance, and that provides a baseline, but that's an important approach to to our blue and green finance initiatives, collecting data, and also the support of innovation. Innovation probably cuts across all spheres, and innovation is one of the key ingredients that will help us achieve a lot of this. Technology has improved so much, and as we've seen with the paramedic insurance, innovation and technologies is where we can make significant leaps and bounds. So that's another approach that we've taken, and we've totally supported innovation wherever it crops up. And just finally linking back to the Maya commitments is international commitments and endorsements. The way on this in endorsing international commitments, and that's something that holds us accountable and also shows to the world that we don't only whine about this issue, but we are willing to put our money where our mouth is.
0: Thank you so much, Deputy Governor, for that comprehensive answer. I think this would be a good time to go into some definitions. So could you please tell us what is green finance, what is blue finance, and what is inclusive green finance?
1: Okay, green finance is where there's still a lot of development or agreement that has to support its taxonomy or what exactly defines but during the development of our green bonds we've helped along the way by IFC and uh, green finance is just ensuring that we raise funds to address some of the issues around climate change and as we've seen with our green bonds one of the stark realization that we came across is that most of the projects that we had narrowed down to meet with the best practices globally accepted at the time was that most of these projects led us to adaptation rather than mitigation. So that was something that we have learned. So green finance is basically trying to channel finance into helping initiatives, projects that will help in the mitigation or the adaptation to climate change. Blue finance is to do with the oceans, SDG14, Life Below the Ocean. So I think in the Past COP, since our involvement as presidency of COP, we've highlighted the issue of oceans because For the Pacific, it's an integral part and this increasing realization that healthy oceans lead to a healthy global atmosphere. So blue finance would lead to any type of financing that we can direct towards maintaining the sustainability of the oceans. And just inclusive green finance is the latest addition of trying to ensure that green finance doesn't just include large projects, but it makes a difference to the lives of those at the bottom of the uh, pyramid, those that we are trying to reach with financial inclusion, uplift out of poverty, and I think, again, the paramedic insurance is a perfect example of how we can bring those types of solutions. So any type of finance that will support initiatives to bring climate mitigation or climate adaptation measures or financial services down to the last mile, that's something that we would consider inclusive green finance. It's available to everyone.
0: Thank you very much, sir. That's very helpful to have those definitions. Sir, you've mentioned a few times now the parametric insurance product that you developed in Fiji with the support of our excellent UNCDF colleagues based there. I wonder if you could tell us a bit more about that.
1: Yes, the parametric insurance is amongst the most innovative solutions, as i mentioned. It's a collaboration between government, UNCDF, again, as I mentioned, Pacific Insurance and Climate Adaptation Program, PCAP. And the private insurance companies, you mustn't forget their assistance in this, and the digital service providers. The Reserve Bank was able to assist in the development and piloting and the testing of this index-based microinsurance product that targets farmers, fishers, small businesses, market vendors, and other vulnerable groups. So the product, which is considered as the first amongst the small island nations in the Pacific or small island states, offers two covers to help affected households respond to cyclones and flood risk. So both carry a maximum coverage of uh, $1,000 Fijian dollars, that's around 500 U.S., with annual premiums of around $100 Fijian, and that equates to less than $2 a week, so something with... Feel is manageable for these households. Fijian households that are vulnerable to the devastation of future storms can afford a financial shield. And this also means they don't need to wait for government assistance, but instead they will have the assistance available in a much shorter time frame. Through the paramedic insurance cover. So, I believe there's is, there is technology solutions on the back end that will implement the payment option or the ability to discern who's eligible to be paid or the cover to be paid out.
0: So, this is private insurance for individuals.
1: Yes, it's private insurance and it's because of the technology, I believe it's able to reduce the cost significantly to make it accessible. And because it's linked to technology that enables some sort of plotting of where the areas are affected, it dispenses with a lot of administrative and hurdles that build up costs around a disbursement of the claims.
0: Thank you for explaining that. That sounds indeed like a fantastic product to help build the resilience of communities and families to climate change impacts. We know that Fiji, like many island states, is very vulnerable to climate change impacts and in fact keeps suffering the impacts of climate change. So this sounds like a fantastic tool at the micro level or the individual or community level. What are some policy tools the government is exploring to reduce the risks of climate change on a policy or national level?
1: Well, on the government level, as I mentioned, government has been very active in this space, and I think the most important one that's on the table right now is our climate change bill. think the primary purpose of the bill, we hope to bring together or to provide a comprehensive response for climate change and how to implement international commitments and obligations to reduce carbon dioxide and greenhouse emissions so it will seek to provide that framework to incentivize collaboration and partnership between the government civil society and the private sector so the bill i think it's still in its consultation phase with parliament but it hopes to introduce some of the innovative climate litigation adaptation and resilient measures but in 2012, government had put in place a national climate change policy to address the impact of climate change. And it has also gone through a few reviews as the environment has changed. And linked to this is uh, government's five-year and 20-year development plan and also linking to our commitments on sustainable development goals. And there are also links to uh, tax incentives for environmentally friendly motor vehicles and the like, and also sanctions on environmental uh, degradation. So there's a whole raft of measures that government has put in place to support climate commitments under climate change.
0: Thank you, sir. It sounds very comprehensive indeed, and very effective for the government to be planning on such a holistic and comprehensive level for the entire economy and nation to be shifting to these climate change impacts. What a great example for the rest of the world, especially as we are looking at the big commitments that countries are making during the Climate Week of the UN, and of course, looking ahead to the COP in November. I wonder if you can tell us, sir, about the Fiji Blue Bond. And then also, as a wider context question, what is it about Fiji and the policy environment that has allowed such a small state to be so innovative around some of these financial tools?
1: So the Blue Bond is probably on the back of our Green Bond issue, the success of our Green Bond in 2017. And we've seen how the impact that it has had in uh, furthering at least the conversation on climate change and highlighting the plight of especially us in the Pacific for Fiji to be able to launch those green bonds. We constantly state in the Pacific and all small most small island states that we are the ones who are suffering the most at the coal face as they call it of climate change and we are the one who probably as the science tells us contributing the least. So for a nation that's facing the brunt of that and to be able to launch a green the green bonds speaks volume and based on that success we thought at that time that probably blue bonds is the other development that we could pursue we understand that seychelles has done it and we've looked at their experience and we have collaborating with some of the partners to try and see if, if we can develop this in the not too distant future So on the question of how we are able to do it, this goes to um, principles uh, a priest once shared with us and i would never forget it from years ago is three principles in life or in anything that you do. And I think this has held true when I reflect on our journey on the green bonds and some of these developments. And that's three principles is one that you try to make a start. The second principle is to keep at it. And the third one is to build to last. And I think there's a lot of willingness uh, across the segments of society. It just requires the will and the courage to bring this together. I think from the green bonds, we had some excellent technical expertise in IFC and just for us, The timing was right with the presidency of COP, and I think that as we plod along our life as policymakers, sometimes we recognize that circumstances outside us are colluding to provide the perfect environment. And we have to recognize these instances. There are people that are placed sometimes, like this paramedic insurance. There's a lot of moving parts, but without specific people in place there and we all share the same vision. It just requires some goodwill or some ability to bring together and to be able to capitalize on this. So that's basically the the sharing that I have. I'm I'm sure AFI Network, we do collaborate and help each other and also share this, a lot of goodwill across the segments of society, whether it be NGOs, UN, World Bank, There are people there that are working towards uh, mutually inclusive goals. And it's just a matter of recognizing and bringing them together. And then we'll be able to achieve mutually beneficial outcomes.
0: Thank you very much, sir. And especially as you point out from the perspective of a resident of a Pacific island, which has done almost nothing to contribute to climate change, but bears the harshest brunt of the impacts We were saying in some panels here at the United Nations today that that's one of the great inequities of LDCs and SIDS and other vulnerable countries, that they have contributed so little to the problem, but they have the fewest resources to deal with the problem and are bearing the brunt of it the most. So thank you so much for your flexibility and your forbearance and your creativity in coming up with these solutions to these problems that the world has helped create and now should help you solve. What can other small island developing states or SIDS and least developed countries or LDCs Learn from Fiji's approach to important policy questions about green and blue finance,
1: and even
0: approaches to policy like the National Climate Change Plan.
1: Well, from Fiji's experience, I think, as I mentioned, a stakeholder awareness, bringing together important players, the government, the central bank, they need to be at the forefront and to use to bring these players together. Stakeholder awareness and also capacity building is important. We started on our roadmap for bringing the financial sector before 2017. And we quickly found out that we needed uh, help. And so we are able to tap into some resources and host a workshop that brought together a lot of partners from across the world. This is just before COVID. So I think stakeholder awareness and capacity building is an important lesson that we've learned alignment to national development goals and ensure that you see what the government is trying to achieve take their national goals i think governments all over the world they churn out policies laws and it's for us other segments of society to tap into that and see how best we can bring them to life so the alignment to national development plans is having a sustainable or having a framework a plan And as I mentioned, just to make a start, sometimes it's an overused term. I know are low hanging fruits, but if you make quick wins, you're able to generate momentum. So that's another important lessons that we've learned. Constantly surveilling to see uh, roadblocks or hurdles. It's not an easy thing because we are aware that once we delve into this space, we find that we are constantly balancing a lot of issues. There are some, say, for instance, forestry, some of the sectors or industries in the economy may suffer short term because of policies taken to address green finance and climate change. But I think having a long-term view is always very important. And it's very, very difficult. And probably one of the greatest challenges is balancing that long-term view with a short pain or the short-term adjustment segments of society will have to make. But it's something that must be done, having a long-term view. And just the final one is another well-used term that no one size fits all. We have to tailor-make whatever solutions to suit your particular circumstances in your country.
0: Thank you very much, sir. Words of wisdom all. And I love these three principles, make a start, keep at it, and build to last. I think those will be very useful for many of our listeners, whether in policy or government or private sector, wherever they work. So as we look to wrap up, Deputy Governor, if there was one thing you could do to support small island developing states to deal with climate change, what would
1: it be? And I think I have to say it's going back to this issue that we talked about, that uh, small island states contribute the least to this problem. And I know that we constantly talk about the ease and the access to resources to be able to mitigate or to adapt to this issue of climate change. So I'll have to say that it's how best we can reduce some of these requirements I do understand, being a central banker for 25 years and being involved in government policy all this time, we do understand the difficulties around providing finance across countries, across borders, and the fungibility of money. These are taxpayers' dollars at the end of the day, and I know a taxpayer out in Australia or the United States would want to ensure that it's directed to the right place. So there are all these type of uh, requirements that are designed to allay those type of fears, but something needs to be done to ensure that there is a better flow of capital to where it's needed to countries such as those in the Pacific or the small island states to help with the issue of climate change. Uh, One time we were discussing of how a rich country like Dubai can just create out of nowhere, and then we have some in the Pacific that are sinking. So maybe it's an issue of funding. So if I were to do something, or if we would have had to ask me the one thing that I would do, and it would probably have a look at how we can channel those assistance a bit quicker, to be less onerous on some of these countries in accessing funding and technical expertise to be able to address some of the challenges they are facing, real challenges, relocation, and the like.
0: Thank you, sir. It's interesting how many people on this podcast from very, very different backgrounds say they would improve access to finance. And maybe it's because it's a UNCDF podcast. That seems to be the answer to many of the problems people face. But I think to your point about the taxpayer in the United States, I think U.S. citizens should consider the fact that the United States is 5% of the world's population, but we use 25% of the world's energy and emit a disproportionate amount of the carbon emissions. So I think the shift in thinking is that American taxpayers should be paying to help Fiji and other Pacific Island states adapt to climate change because we have helped cause this problem much more so than citizens of Fiji. So we'll put that out there and see what happens in the debate. But Deputy Governor, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of your insights from your long and distinguished career in public service.
1: Thank you very much, I I think if all the taxpayers think like you, we will be able to achieve that goal. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for joining us. And I think if we could offer everyone a trip to Fiji as a reward for being a global citizen and thinking about climate change, then they would certainly agree with me. Thank you very much to our audience as well for joining us on UNCDF's podcast, Capital Musings. Once again, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, and our website, www.uncdf.org. If you found this episode useful, please spread the word on Twitter, hashtag Capital Musings, or leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews help new listeners discover our podcast. So if you enjoyed listening, please leave a review. Thanks and until next time.